Welcome to Everything In Between, the podcast where a dad and daughter duo delve deep into topics ranging from true crime to paranormal occurrences to urban legends and, well, everything in between. I'm Emma. I'm the dad. That's Anish. Uh, And this recording comes at the heels of... of... The end of the Premier League season, 2018-2019. And Liverpool finished second. Yeah. <laughs> but City won out. Hey, they deserve it. Um, it went down to the wire. They won t- uh, City won today 4-1. Uh, Liverpool also won 2-0, but City finishes with 98 points and Liverpool finishes with 97. Um, so and it close. was, a, I mean, it, it was close. And what was awful was that uh, Brighton, who City played, uh, they played at Brighton. Brighton went up one nothing. After Liverpool had gone up one nothing, and you're just like, oh my God, maybe it's going to happen. And then not even 90 seconds later, oh, no. City tied it up. And then I think they scored within 10 minutes again to make it 2-1. And then in the second half, when they got the third goal, you could even see it. I, went, you know, we were, I was you know, watching the game at Anfield, but all the Liverpool fans saw that or heard about the third goal. And you could just, there was like a... Um, a dejection kind of went around the stadium and then all of a sudden everybody just started clapping regardless of like and then city scored a fourth <sighs> and the moment that was announced again the stadium just was cheering for for liverpool and liverpool scored a second to uh uh finish the game to you know, the money scored actually both goals but you know it, it it's one of those things where you're it's definitely bittersweet in the way it happened but um but this is a young team and Again, credit to City, 14 games in a row. But we had the, one of the best comebacks ever in Champions League history. Oh, my God. So we yeah. have more to play for because we lost 3 nothing to Barca a couple weeks back, and then we played at Anfield Tuesday night, and we won 4 nothing. dominated that game. Oh, and my God. And we are now amazing. in the final. Uh, we played Tottenham, which that anyone can win that game, as much as I would have loved to just say it's going to be uh, Liverpool's year. Uh, those teams know each other. They've played each other twice already. So I don't think there'll be any surprises. It's just a matter of, you know, it's going to be, it's going to come down to, it's not going to be a blowout either way. It's going to just come down to, uh, I don't want to say wants it more, but just uh, mistakes. Mm. Yeah. So season's over for the Premier League, but I, I love this team. <laughs> love this team. So, and they're just going to get better. So, I mean, City's probably going to get better too, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> So yeah, there we go. Yeah. Close the book on the Premier League season, but Champions League, June first for all you folks who are I know want to watch. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and also last night we watched uh, the Highwaymen. Yes, yes that was yes, really yes. good. That was good. Yeah, I thought it was well done. I liked um, the cinematography a lot. Yeah, you gotta explain what the Highwaymen is. Oh, I thought you were gonna explain. It. Uh, I shall then. It's uh, <laughs> it's the it's a. It's I guess um, I don't know how how true the story is. It seemed pretty or, true to me. Well, I mean, the characters are based on real characters, but it, it's on Bonnie and Clyde and how they caught Bonnie and Clyde and how these two Texas Rangers came out of retirement. Um, well, actually, they weren't out of retirement; they were forced out of forced. The, the Rangers were disbanded because of the governor of yeah. Texas at the time, yeah. and she created her own 
This uh, is all according majors. to the movie and not research. <laughs> yeah, well, they said. I mean, I think it's I true. Just, I don't but, know how much is true. No, I think that is true because they said that the Rangers became, um, were formed again oh, after yeah, she we're left. Oh, yeah, were reinstated. Yeah, you're right. And she you're left right. office. But um, it's it's well done. I mean, it's a movie. so <laughs> It's <know>. a movie. <laughs> but uh, they do not paint Bonnie and Clyde as, you know, this, even though, like, they were um, these folk heroes, celebrities, celebrities to a bunch of people. Um, but they, I mean, they just showed the gr- did, how grotesque they were on like, I mean, they just killed people in cold blood. They did pretty much the opposite of what, what, what we think. Yeah, those we haven't, head we haven't seen it, yeah. but based on that trailer, like ba- that's basically the opposite of yeah. what they yeah, did. And I, th- I still think they're saying the same thing. That There's another one. Oh, there's that other, um, because this is the year of the, is it the f- 50th yeah 50th anniversary of the manson oh. killing so there's like three manson movies type coming movies out. coming out um but there's one with, with matt smith. yeah the one with matt smith they're saying does not glorify i mean they they don't glorify him or try to make good, him this good. you know um cult figure i mean he was a cult figure but like cult post uh murder kind of thing right so yeah um cool do we do anything else yeah, I think, you know, we've pretty much, that's, yeah, there's not much more to it. I think it's just like, again, I'm trying not to be dejected about it, but because I feel like that's a great season. So I just feel like there's like this, it, it, there was like this high and now we're coming off that high. So, yeah. well, so let's just talk about killing, murder, yeah, you know, you let's know just blood, take a break from all like that, that stress and, and everything get into something. Yeah, fun. I got to figure out what I'm going to talk about next week now, because like, there's no soccer to talk about <laughs> until after Champions League. So I'll get another hobby. Let's see crochet yeah, no. <laughs> all right go ahead are you gonna talk about crocheting on the podcast i don't know we'll make it exciting that's doubtful all right let's, all right. let's jump and in. you're doing true crime i am doing true crime all right let's hear it all right so before i start we are recording this on mother's day so just want to wish a happy mother's day to all the mothers listening to our podcast which does not include mine <laughs> <laughs> She's listening. She's here. She's listening. That is true. But like, I think she's just tuning us out. No, she's not. She's, all moms can basically have one ear onto one thing <laughs> and then another ear somewhere else. So it's not like, I assume at some point, you know, if you ever decide to become a mom, you'll have that same, you know, it's like eighth sense. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, There's a lot of motherly superpowers I've yet to inherit, like finding things and remembering <laughs> things. Oh, it happens. It'll happen. <laughs> okay uh so uh I oh wanna... we should also say i didn't do the hints for my story for oh, you yeah. this time because it was a crazy soccer weekend so that's yeah. why i didn't get to get to it so i apologize for everybody who i mean were probably sitting and waiting and wondering <laughs> refreshing their instagram like where is that hint? <laughs> but we'll do hints for this yeah well, that, for, we'll uh, before we we publish so yeah. so go ahead you're doing true crime let's yes hear it. so in my short lifetime there have been three case like three true crime cases that have like completely sparked my interest in true crime first one i already did was jack the ripper fair yeah that one like really kicked it off this second one um but jack I, the ripper you you read that you got that like from a scholastic fair right like you bought something i know you knew of it but didn't you get like i thought you at at grant when you were at um, you know it might have been i think that might have been at, at a elementary well, yeah school. and you basically um you you got I think I think even the teachers were like uh, can she have this book that kind of thing I remember that yeah oh no, I remember we're like yeah it's fine 
Yeah. So that, so that the was, first one was so yeah. Jack so that's Ripper. like anywhere between third and fifth grade. Yeah. It was like third grade. Probably. Right. <laughs> this one I found out about in seventh grade and I did a, a book report on it. Um, and you actually mentioned it last week. Uh, and then the third one I will be doing in the near future. Okay. Uh, and that one is also very vivid in my memory. Okay. So I'm talking about today, none other than H.H. Holmes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that book, you gave me that book, seventh grade to read. No, I remember, I do remember. I was like, I said, this is a phenomenal, you'll love this. Yeah. I did love it a lot. Um, and so I've been wanting to do the story for a little bit. And name, now, you should name the book and the art and the author. Yes, the book is called uh, Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Just have to make sure because I've never written down. Um, but yeah, such a good book. Really liked it. And I was having a really hard time not bursting out laughing when you mentioned it last week. That's too funny. Um, so yeah, let's get started. Then. Okay. Uh, so you can immediately go to the Google Drive for the first picture. It's just of H.H. H. Holmes. Uh, so he was born Herman Webster Mudgett, uh, was his name, uh, in Gilmanton, New Hampshire, on May 16th, uh, 1861. Okay. Uh, so he was a third-born child. And he had an older sister, Ellen, an older brother, Arthur. And then he would also have a younger brother named Henry and a younger sister, Mary. All right. Uh, so Holmes's father was a farmer, trader, and house painter. Uh, and later accounts say that he tortured animals and stuff and suffered abuse from his father that Holmes did. Um, but Wait, there's... so, oh, okay. So Holmes was torturing animals and he was getting abused at the same time. All right. Yes. But no evidence actually like backs this up. So... It's just sort of a rumor that spread afterwards that uh, after that um, that triangle that I was talking about that I already forgot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, yep, yep, yep. After that became, like, popular, I think they, they started to, like, try to put him into that category, but there's no evidence. Although he was bullied, uh, and he had a fear of doctors, so his bullies made him, like, stand in front of, like, a model skeleton um, until he, like, I don't know, broke or something, and he did say that that's what helped him overcome his fear of death so kind of strange um but he was pretty smart he graduated from high school at age 16 and took a teaching job in his hometown uh, and then on july 4th 1878 uh he married clara lovering okay uh and later that year he enrolled uh in the university of vermont and that's when he's 18 uh but he only le he left after a year okay then uh, on February 3rd, 1880, the two bore a son, Robert Lovering Mudgett. Uh, and then two years later, he enrolled in the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery. Huh. And he graduated in June of 1884. Oh, nice. So, uh, during his time at the school, um, he, Holmes would work in an anatomy lab. And often used cadavers to defraud life insurance companies. Yeah. Um, but according, not but, according to some of Holmes' housemates, he would also treat Clara violently. And this eventually resulted in her moving back to New Hampshire in 1884. But they were still married. And she took the children, I would. I think so. Yeah, okay. They only had one child, but yeah. That's so, right, yeah. so uh, Holmes moved to New York 
and soon after, a rumor spread that he had been seen with a little boy who later disappeared. Oh. Uh, and Holmes just claimed that the boy had moved back home to Massachusetts and then quietly left town. So he traveled to Philadelphia uh, and began to work as a keeper at the Norristown State Hospital. Right. Uh, and he quit after a few days. That's weird. Yeah. he's He moves around a lot. Um, so he then began to work at a drugstore in the area. But he left the city after a boy died from taking medicine that he had bought from the store. Okay. So around this time... Uh, he changed his name to Henry Howard Holmes or H.H. H. Holmes. Um, just like he didn't like officially change it. I don't think he, he just, he just started using it. that name. Yeah. And it, is there a reason for those names? I don't think there's like a big reason. He uses a lot of aliases. I okay. think it was just sort of like, I don't know. Maybe he wanted to be cool. It's like, I can't get anywhere in life with the last name budget. <laughs> I don't know. So soon after he changed his name, he moved to Chicago. Okay. So, in 1886, Holmes married uh, Myrta Belknap while he was still married to Clara. Okay. Uh, and then a few weeks later, he filed for a divorce from Clara, and he claimed infidelity. But the suit went nowhere, and they think that Clara probably never even knew that he was, he was trying to divorce her. Okay. So, at this point, he's married to two women. So then uh, Holmes got a job at another drugstore run by an Elizabeth S. Holton. So Holmes worked hard and eventually bought the store from her. Yep. And some people allege that he killed Holton and her husband, but this is not true because documents show that the two survived well into the 20th century. Okay. Uh, and also, like, he claimed to kill a lot of people, and a lot of them were, like, still alive when he confessed to killing them, so... No, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I'm, I that's a bullet point later, but I figured I'd just say it now. So, uh, Holmes then bought an empty lot across from the drugstore, and he began construction for a two-story building in 1887. Of course, this building would become his famous murder castle. Uh, if you want to see it, you can go to the next page. At, the, at that point, I think it's three stories, but um, it started out as just a two-story building. So, uh, it had apartments on the second floor and retail spaces um on like both the first and second floors i think it was mostly on the first floor and there was a new drugstore that was put in on the first floor uh and holmes while he was building this first of all he refused to pay the architects or the steel company and they sued him in 1888 but i couldn't find any information on whether that went anywhere gotcha but also throughout building he would hire and fire a bunch of different companies uh, so no one, like, really knew what was going on, like, what he was building. Gotcha. So, um, in 1889, Holmes and Myrta had a daughter, uh, Lucy Holmes, and she was born on July 4th, which would be the wedding anniversary anniversary of him and Clara. Huh. A lot of stuff happens on July 4th in this story. It's really weird. So, um, in 1892, Holmes added a third floor because the... World's Columbian Exp uh, Exposition was coming to Chicago, and he thought, hmm, if I make more, like, hotel-ish areas, then people will stay here and give me money. Of course, that's what we all want. Hmm. Um, but the hotel portion was never completed. Okay, so you, you didn't rent any rooms for the fair. I think he probably rented some up on the okay. second floor, maybe, but he never, like, finished everything. So... 
Uh, around this time, a woman named Julia Smith, who was the wife of a man named Ned Connor, moved into Holmes's building to work in his pharmacy's jewelry counter. Okay. Smith and Holmes began an affair, and when Connor found out, he moved away. Just left her. Just up and left. Uh, so this left Smith and her 12-year-old daughter, Pearl, in Holmes's building. Okay. On Christmas Eve, 1891, both uh, Smith and Pearl disappeared, never to be seen again. Holmes claimed later that both of them had died of an abortion, but... Both of them? Yeah. Okay. It was, I mean, it, it was kind of vague in the article, but I think that it was both. Wow. Um, but the two were never found, so we don't know. Well, I mean... We'll get into it. So, uh, in May of 1892, a woman named Emmeline uh, Sigrande began to work at Holmes's building, uh, and then she disappeared that December. Oh, man. Uh, another woman named Edna Van Tassel disappeared around this time as well, uh, though it's not really known, like, her connection to... But she went... Okay, so she wasn't, like, working in this building. It was just a, somebody that went missing. Yeah, I okay. think... But I think that there's enough, like, suspicion that, that it could have been she him. was in the neighborhood or something. Yeah. All right. Or maybe she was staying there. I don't know. Um, so if you go to the next picture, uh, this is Benjamin Pitzel. Okay. Uh, he was a carpenter that quickly became Holmes's like right-hand man. Okay. He also had a criminal past. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, the two of them became buddies pretty much. Then if you go to the next picture, uh, that is Minnie Williams, a one-time actress who moved to Chicago in 1893. All right. Uh, Holmes offered her a job as his personal stenographer, which she accepted. And uh, then, you know, he just sort of convinced her to transfer the deed to her property in Fort Worth, Texas, to a name to a man named Alexander Bond, which was one of his aliases. Okay. Uh, so, in May of that year, uh, Holmes and Williams re uh, rented an apartment while posing as man and wife. Williams' sister, uh, Nanny, came to visit the apartment. And then in July, Nanny wrote to her aunt that she was going to accompany Holmes' uh, brother, Harry, as she called him, to Europe. Uh-huh. And uh, That's convenient. Neither Minnie nor Nanny were seen alive again after July 5th. 1893. Mm hmm Yeah. So, at this point, I think I should mention that uh, Holmes was known to sell skeletons uh, to medical labs and schools. You know, just as a pastime. People were like a little, like, uh, huh, about that? Suspicious, that's the word. They're a little suspicious, but nothing really came of it. So, then in 1894, Holmes married Georgiana Yoke, while still married to Clara and Myrta. And in in Chicago, they're, so they're still all, or is this in a different place? He's still in Chicago. Oh, boy. Yeah. And he married her as Holmes? I believe so. He might have, like, come up with an alias, but he's still married to three okay. women. Uh, so then in July of that year, he moved to Fort Worth. Oh, okay. And he intended to build another castle like the one in Chicago, and again, he refused to, to pay his suppliers. And shortly after his arrival in Texas, he was arrested um, for this, like... Scam. This, yeah, yeah, for this... Well, it yeah. shouldn't be a scam, just for not paying his... The right uh, for services. Yeah. 
Um, but he was soon bailed out um, by his pal. And Pitzel came with him yeah. uh, with his wife. So uh, then Holmes concocted a plan to fake his own death to, and get uh, $10,000 in insurance, which today is about um, $290,000. Okay. And this came at like the... Basically, when Holmes was in prison, he made friends with this guy named Marion Hedgepath, okay. who was another criminal. Obviously, yeah. he's in prison. Um, and he asked Hedgepath, like, hey, you know any, like, crooked lawyers I can help? I can, who can help me? Right. And Hedgepath was like, yeah, here, I'm going to direct you, direct you to this guy. And Holmes was like, cool. I'm going to give you, like, some of the money because you helped me. Right. And Hedgepath, blah, 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 blah. And Hedgepath was like... Yeah, bro. Cool. Got it. Uh, and actually, Hedgepath would get out of prison a little bit later, like after this whole thing happened and actually was shot dead in a saloon that he was trying to rob um, by a police officer. Okay. So not great for Hedgepath, but he helped out H.H. Holmes. Um, and that led to a lot more rough stuff. So uh, the insurance company was suspicious of Holmes's death yeah, and right. they refused to pay the money. Okay. So uh, instead of pressing the claim, Holmes was like, okay, we're just going to do this again with Pitzel. Gotcha. Uh, so the plan was uh, Pitzel would set him up, set himself up as an inventor named B.F. Perry. Okay. Uh, who would then die in a lab explosion and be disfigured. So Holmes was like, yeah, cool. I'm going to find a cadaver who looks like you and disfigure him and kill him, whatever, blah, blah. Right, right. Or he's not already dead. But, well, yeah. Disfigure um, that. All right. Yeah. So instead, what Holmes did was he knocked Pitzel unconscious with chloroform and set him on fire. And Holmes claimed that he was alive during this time, but forensic evidence suggests that this was not true. So he just did what he wanted to do. To, yeah. Okay. He just killed Pitzel. Right. Uh, so Holmes collected the insurance money. Then he told Pitzel's wife that he was just hiding out in London. Right. Uh, and tricked her into giving him custody of three of her five children, Alice, Nellie, and Howard. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, if you go to the next picture, I believe that is Alice and Howard. Okay. So Holmes, uh, traveled north into Canada with the children, and he had Mrs. Pitzel, uh, going along a similar route. But it was like it was like parallel, but not like with him. Right. So while in Toronto, uh, Holmes locked Alice and Nellie in a large trunk, and he cut a hole in it and put a hose through the hole. Then he connected the other end of the hose to a gas line, and um, released gas into the trunk to kill the girls, and then buried them naked in the cellar of his rental house. As you do. Yep. Pretty casual, you know. So he fled after that uh, with the boy. Right. And meanwhile, the Philadelphia police had begun to investigate Holmes, led by Detective Frank Geyer. And he's the next picture. He's got one hell of a mustache. <laughs> um, so he, he arrived at Holmes's home uh, to find it empty, the Toronto home, but not quite empty because he found the decomposing bodies of the girls. So here is a quote from him. The deeper we dug, the more horrible the odor became. And when we reached the depth of three feet, we discovered what appeared to be the bone 
of the forearm of a human being. So they were like decomposing really fast. Ugh. Yeah. So they found the girls. And then uh, Gyra went to Indianapolis, where Holmes was thought to be living with uh, the remaining boy. And when he arrived, he found Holmes's empty cottage. But in the chimney, he found the teeth and bits of bone from Howard's body. So he burned them. He burned the boy. It was believed that Holmes had gone to the pharmacy in town to buy the drugs that he poisoned Howard with and then sharpened his knives at a local repair shop before returning home, uh, killing him with the drugs and cutting up and burning the body in the chimney. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But on the bright side, on November 17th, 1894, Holmes was arrested. He was actually caught by the Pinkertons. Mm -hmm. Ooh, Pinkertons. Uh, and he actually was arrested for horse theft back in Texas. So they didn't really, like, get the murder stuff out yet. Right. But, uh, so then, in July of 1895, authorities searched Holmes's castle. So, let's talk about the murder castle. Oh, God. Holmes would hide furniture in secret passageways and rooms which he had not paid for. Uh, there were many soundproof rooms in the building and mazes of hallways, some of which seemed to go nowhere. Um, lots of rooms had chutes put in them. Oh, man. And they dropped straight down into the basement where there were acid vats, quicklime, and a crematorium. Police found Minnie's watch chain and Nanny's garter buckle in one of the ovens. They also found bones likely belonging to Pearl, uh, but since there was, like, no right. forensic evidence. Yeah. Uh, and they also found what they believed were Emmeline's bones. Oh, my. I'm just thinking of, like, basically soundproof, having your way, and then, oh, let me just drop this down into you know, a vat of acid. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was reading the book, there's this one scene that, I, that was, like, really powerful where... He, I couldn't remember who it was, and I was too lazy to go get the book and look. Um, <laughs> but one of the women he killed, he like tricked her. They were like hanging out. I think this was actually on the roof, and he had this big container thing. And she was like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And he was like, You should go in. She was like, Sure. Then she went in, he locked the door, and started like putting gas in there. And I remember them describing like he was like sitting outside, just like reading a book or something. While she was like trying to like Banging pound on the thing, thing yeah. and just dying, it was yeah. really, really interesting. Gruesome. Yeah, pretty gruesome. Um, so yeah, but uh, so remember the skeleton selling? Yep. Uh, here's a quote from someone that we don't know. Thanks, Wikipedia. Um, and it's about like I'll just read it to you. Yeah. So. He and sometimes a hired assistant were accused of stripping the flesh off the bodies, dissecting them, and preparing the viable skeletons. The rest of the remains would be tossed in pits of lime or acid, effectively breaking down the remaining evidence. Oh my god. So there was some suspicion with that, but like, but again, they can't prove it. Yeah, nothing really came out of it. So in October of uh, 1895, Holmes was put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Pitzel yeah. and was sentenced to death. Okay. Uh, Holmes then confessed to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto. And like I was saying earlier, some of them were false because they were still alive. And uh, he was actually paid to confess 
all these crimes by Hearst newspapers. From um, his story? Yeah. They he, they gave him $7,500, which today is 226000 Gotcha. Which I don't understand what he could do with that money if he's dead. Or he's about to be dead. Whatever. Uh, so probably one of his most famous quotes is about him being possessed by Satan, which he claimed. <laughs> he said, quote, I was born with the devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer, no more than the poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered into the world, and he has been with me since. Yeah, I bet you he did believe that. Yeah, kind of nutso. So, um, in August of 1895, so Holmes is in prison, uh, awaiting to his death, uh, the castle, the murder castle, was set on fire by an unknown arsonist and was damaged but survived. And in 1938, they torn it down and it became a post office. So then on May 7th, which is pretty recent in time of month, right, exactly. <laughs> um, 1896, yep. uh, Holmes was hanged at the Philadelphia County Prison and uh, the rope did not snap his neck. But instead, Holmes was strangled, dying after 15 minutes of hanging. Oh. Which is gross, but then again, he did kill a lot of people. Then this um, next thing I think is interesting, and it kind of brings in an element of maybe the paranormal. Okay. So the caretaker of the castle named Quinlan, mm -hmm. uh, he killed himself soon after the whole or ordeal. And he was found in his bedroom with a note reading, quote, I couldn't sleep. And his relatives claimed that he had been haunted for several months and was suffering from hallucinations of the people. So he had no idea what was in the castle? or I don't think he knew anything. Hmm. I think he may have just kill himself because he was accomplice to it and he knew of it. That could be true. Yeah. But I mean... I mean, it could be that I know what, what, what was done and, you know... Well, I mean, also, like, once Holmes was arrested, all that came out. Uh, yeah, so, but, you know, I think... Or then he was just, I can't believe I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting. Like the, it just seems kind of haunting the whole thing. It could be. I mean, I guess if, if, uh, yeah, fair enough. Okay. Well, that's like the really shortened version of it. No, it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean. I was worried since last week my story was so long. No, it's a good story. And I think people, you should definitely, if you haven't, should read the book. I think definitely. they're making it a mini series too. Oh, really? I believe. I think. I thought I remember seeing something like that. But yeah, definitely read that. It has a lot more detail than. Yeah, I mean, because it, it talks about how he used the World's Fair as. As uh, like a. As the backdrop because there were so much things going on. Like they were. They were. It was chaos. New technology, all these other things happening. So, like, mm -hmm. I mean, even like with electricity and all this other stuff. So he got to do a lot of experimenting based on uh because chicago was was building an infrastructure to support this thing yeah so yeah but yeah good time good story it's a spooky one and he's a very bad man oh definitely all right cool cool well done all right so i'm doing urban legend um this is another one from my past you know nostalgic the whole thing uh this was one this urban legend was introduced to me I'm trying to remember how I first heard it. I mean, um, I think it was like in the late 70s. Uh, 
I was not alive. There was a there was like a movie about about it, like loosely based. And then, um, but I didn't I didn't see it then. I had to wait till you know VHS. You know, those are tapes. Those are video tapes. I know VHS <laughs> tapes are. I've seen old movies. And <laughs> I, I had to be, I think, ten or eleven when I saw it. Um, and I'm still trying to think. Yeah, I can't remember how I saw it or why we rented it or whatever. I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss on how we got it, unless my parents wanted to see it, and then I just watched it after the fact. Um, but uh, I, you know, at 11, we still had babysitters and things like that. So I mean, so no, I didn't have a babysitter at 11. And I would, uh, I, I actually, I think, ended up telling the story to my babysitter. Oh, no. Um, so we had these neighbors across the street, uh, actually where Dadi is now, but that house across the street, oh. that the, the family that lived there had three daughters. Um, two daughters were in high school. Uh, so they were probably four years or five years older than me. Actually, one I think was maybe freshman, sophomore. The other one I think was junior, senior when I was 10 or 11. And then they had a younger sister who was a year younger than me but a year older than um your a couple years older than your uncle or a year older than your other uncle that kind of thing and um what would end up happening would be that uh the the middle daughter the one that was a freshman or sophomore would would babysit us and when they when she did her the younger sister would always just hang out at our house as well so and we were you know we basically were all about watching movies and things like that. So my parents were never, it was never like, all right, they gotta be to bed by this time, blah, 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 blah. Or if they did, we never, we weren't. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it was a cool gig because we just sit in front of a TV, put a movie in and popcorn, whatever it is, and just kind of like hang for the evening. So there's just, you know, I'd seen this movie um, and I'd seen it by, by myself and the babysitter's over. My brothers are there too. So my brothers were, seven or eight years old. And I feel like I told the story to the babysitter only, not to my brothers and the younger sister, but I honestly don't know if they were still awake. Oh, no. But the story freaked them out, freaked her out. And, uh, and the upside was that uh, because she was so freaked out, she let us all stay up even later because, you know, she was just, you know, watching everything so oh, you're just exploiting your babysitter so now? we ended up staying up till my parents came home oh, um, no. and we literally I, if i remember like we were actually i know my brothers had to be up but again i don't I still don't know if they knew the story if we if i told them but we were all you know sitting in on the couches blankets watching probably some cartoon movies oh, like that. that poor babysitter oh, no. but the story is definitely it is based on a true uh, on a, a, an actual crime but it just you know of course changed year after year after year and and um, the, the urban legend I think was in the sixties, seventies, but the eighties is when it, it went, when it went like gangbusters after that. <laughs> so, uh, but the way I'm going to tell this story is that the, the, the problem that I, I will have with it is that, like I said, every urban legend is very short. So I'm going to just give a little color to it and I'm going to, I'm going to loosely use the movie, the actual crime itself, and then what how we told the story after the fact, because it, it had some iterations as we went around. So here we go. You ready? Oh, yeah. So we're in a suburb of basically any town, any state USA, right? Cool. Um, and it could have been, like I said, 60, 70 days, but we're going to talk about the 80s. So we're in the 80s. Love the 80s. 
all communication in the 80s were landlines. Okay. <laughs> um, and there was, we, we did have some um, progress in our landlines. We went from rotary phones <laughs> to even, you know, basically keypads to wireless phones. Whoa. And the cool thing about wireless phones, um, and that your mom could probably attest to this too as, as well, it was on the same frequency of certain radios. So you could actually eavesdrop on people. So if you're using a, a wireless phone, you just had to turn your radio to the same frequency and you could hear the whole conversation. So we used to record conversations and things like that oh all the time. My. Oh my God. We, what all did these, you record? We do all these pranks and all these other things. So we'd be on the phone. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. But we did a bunch of things like that. You um, little delinquent. Um, I mean, <gasps> we couldn't do other people's houses unless you parked a car there and put the radio. Oh right. And we're just talking about like my own house. Things like that. But the other thing that happened with technology, call waiting started. So you could actually get a call and then go to the to the next line kind of thing. Um, and then three-way calling was the was the one where we did the most pranks because what we would do is we'd call one person and then we'd call another person and then connect them together so they would know. And like, we always, it was always, it's how bad we were. Like, you know, oh, you like him? Oh, and, yeah. and so we'd call them both and they would end up talking and then we would record it. No, yeah. that's so awful. It's not like we could do anything with it. Oh, no. Um, we didn't have like the internet to like put it out there. Um, oh, my God. But, uh, so that's that's where we are, landlines, right? <laughs> so we're gonna talk about Rada. Rada's the high school junior, okay? She is a pretty decent student. Um, Go Rada. She's responsible, dependable. She's well liked by her peers. She's the oldest in her family. She's pretty independent. Um, she rides her bike everywhere to get around, and she works at the local video store. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, she's always looking to earn extra buck. She'll tutor. She'll babysit. Whatever it can be. Um, and she says she's saving for college, but it's really because she wants a car because she's sick of riding her bike all over the place. <laughs> um, she lives in a pretty quiet neighborhood. The, um, the development itself, it's a relatively new development, but it was built specifically for the employees of the AT- AT&T had built a, a new f- uh, headquarters locally. So all the people that were moving into the city or this area were employees of AT&T. So cool. um, they were definitely upper middle class in the sense of their job. Um, and how much they could afford and that kind of things. They were big homes, but again, modest. We're not talking like mansions or anything like that. Um, And the homes were spread out from each other. So you had nice couple of acres maybe to yourself, but you could still see houses and, you know, if lights were on and things like that. Um, In this development, though, there was one home that was in a cul-de-sac. Yeah. So kind of off to the side no homes around it so it was kind of its own secluded space and the person who lived there was uh well the family was called the marin family and um the patriarch of that family was one of the uh, senior directors at AT at&t um and most of the people that lived in this neighborhood either worked for him directly or indirectly in that sense so but he wasn't like this guy who was you know haha i'm the best chip on my shoulder you know (laughs) surfs that kind of thing yeah (laughs) He was, uh, he was, you know, he was well liked. Um, they had three young children, ages two, four, and six. Um, and Radha had babysat for them since the the two year old was born, so familiar to the family. And Mrs. Marin, big fan of Radha, like very, she just felt safe. Cool. There. Now the Marins um, try to have this monthly date night as much as possible. Go for the monthly. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> as I mean. much as possible. Well, the thing is, is that he started traveling a lot, uh, so he couldn't. It just kind of, 
it, it stopped basically. He was now going overseas, things like that. So right. there, there was this point where she was just, she, it was her and three kids, which I think itself is crazy. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it just kind of got to the point where also this was like a form of income for Rada, so she didn't have that anymore. Right. Um, so it was just a tough time for the Marins. Um, now Rada was, had just ended a relationship with this guy uh, named Chuck. Chuck. Yeah, and it, it didn't last long. It was less than a month. And it was a very odd pairing between the two because he was very possessive, you know, stalker-like, um, always wanting to know where God she was, who she was it, with, Chuck. that kind of thing. And again, at that time, you know, it's not like you have phones, this and that. So it's it's more physical stalking and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and her friends were like, just didn't get it. They didn't get the combination too because Rada was so strong willed you know stubborn right. independent so she couldn't understand why she would be attracted to somebody like this sixth um, grade me <laughs> well her <laughs> friends were psyched when they broke up chuck however didn't take that too well he'd call her all the time oh. he would show up at the video store Ugh. um and he would follow her around the halls of school you know that kind of thing total class chuck well what even what made chuck even more angry was that uh Rather had a new suitor named Matt. Um, oh. Not that she, they, she was, her friends liked Matt, but they weren't, they weren't dating. But right. you know, um, and her best friend Jackie was uh, was kind of uh, shout out <laughs> was um, psyched too for this, and she knew Matt from I guess I don't, they, maybe they were good friends or something like that. But Matt was kind of laid back, and he wasn't like pushing to have this relationship go any further, just because he also knew all the craziness with uh, Chuck. Mm. Um, and Jackie, though, wasn't helping because Jackie was like, come on, Rada. Back on the horse. You know, let's get you got to move on from this crazy dude and this will be better. That kind of thing. Um, so now, you know, it's mid-November into the school year. Mm-hmm. Holiday season's almost upon upon them. It's before Thanksgiving and all. And Mr. Marin finally got a reprieve from his travel schedule because of the holidays were coming. Um, and he's like, OK, well. This is time I want to get. I'm, it's been too long. I'm taking my wife out, and I want to do like something special because Thanksgiving's coming, Christmas is coming. There's gonna be holiday parties and this stuff. So he just knew they weren't gonna have that much time alone. You go, man. So he so wanted to surprise her and have this whole overnight trip. Um, oh, right. So he spoke to uh, Rada to basically say like, this gonna, "I want it to be a surprise. You know, is it possible?" And she had never done an overnight trip before, um, but it, it got kind of confusing. So Miss Marin found out about the whole thing, but she was all for it. And she's like, let me just talk. So they, they talked it out. And, um, basically Rada was a little concerned, but when he found out the, the amount of money she was going to make and that <sighs> the way it worked out was that they were going to go see a, sh- like a late show. Um, and then stay at a hotel and just stay the night kind of thing. And I think there's dancing or something like that as well. But, um, but the, the way they set it up was like, look, just to make it easier, we will actually have dinner at home. You know, we'll get the kids to bed so you don't have to really worry about anything except to just basically be there overnight and we'll be good. So she's like, well, that sounds like an easy gig. Um, and she wouldn't have to be there until like around 8.30-ish, basically. And that also allowed her to work her day job and basically uh. pull in two shifts of, or two two jobs to, to get everything to go. Um, now, as they were getting closer to that date, the weather forecast showed for this crazy nor'easter to come hit the coast. And uh, it was not going to be as much snow as going to be like basically wind, rain, and sleet. And they thought there could be power outages. So again, 
they all talked like, is this right? Should we go? Should we leave? And in the end, they all like, it'll be fine. So Radha's now working at the, at the video store. It's about midday and the storm is in full swing and it's basically, you know, just pouring rain, sheets of rain. And it basically was a boring day for because no one's coming out. You think no one's actually going to drive in it. So she was just at the video store, just kind of like just chilling. Yeah, exactly. Just waiting to get out. Now, remember she bikes everywhere oh. and she's like, Oh God, I got a bike in this. Um, so she was not looking forward to that. Now she's watching the clock tick by her shift ends around seven thirty ish. You know, the next person's going to be showing up and um, she's still like going to drive in this right around that period of time. She's like, all right, well, perk of working at the video store is I can get any movie I want. So she starts getting picking for her night that she's going right. to be out that, and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So she's getting all her perk. movies and all of a sudden a car shows up and she's basically now, all right, well, who's going to buy it, get a movie here. And when she sees the car, she recognizes it. And it's Chuck. Of course. She immediately runs over to the back to the checkout desk and calls up her friend Jackie to just basically be on the phone. So when he comes in, it won't look odd or anything like that. So she's talking to Jackie saying like, hey, just, you know, I'm a pretend you're a customer. Chuck's here, that kind of thing. So they're, she's trying to fill up space. Chuck's looking at her. She's just trying to, you know, talk Get about this like and that, right? So, yeah. And Jackie's like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Have you heard the news? And, you know. Rod is not even listening. Did you, did, are you watching the news? You know, what's going on? And she's thinking about the storm and all this other stuff. And she's, again, preoccupied with Chuck. She's not really listening. And right. all of a sudden, the power, the lights flicker, like go out, pop <gasps> back on, and the call's done. Oh. So, of course, she's now off the phone because she's like, hello, anyone? What's going on? And Chuck uses his opportunity oh. to be, you know, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? And um, basically, he, he's basically trying to just get into her life and try to figure out. And of course, somehow he kind of overheard a little bit about when they were kind of talking about about the babysitting job and all this other stuff. Um, oh, and in the same period of time, her replacement shows up. Mm. Right, get out of there. Right. So then again, um, the power is still like going kind of crazy. The lights are flickering. The phone then rings back and it's good yeah and uh she's like oh jackie's calling back this is savior and you know her, the, the the other person who's there is watching she gets on the phone and it's matt, Ooh, matt. <laughs> and chuck could hear that it was matt too so oh. he's now turning bright red so matt's just calling to say like hey have you heard the news and she's like what are you talking about the power what what are you going on and she's he's like no 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 did you hear about this? The, the psychiatric hospital up the street, like because of the power outage, oh, like um, the wind no. damage. Um, basically, they're, they don't know if they have everybody accounted for. So there's a curfew set by the local police till 8 p.m. Or starting at 8 p.m. No one on the roads um, for anyone basically under 21. Um, so she's just like, this is like the beginning of a horror movie. Well, I got to, yeah. you know, I got to ride my bike, oh, no. you know, this kind of thing. And of course the co- coworker hears this and she's like, cha-ching, store is closing because we got to be out. Um, Does the coworker have a car? Yeah. Uh, no. Oh. So she's getting, uh, I don't know if she had her, her parents, whatever, but you know, she's not getting a ride with her. So she brought a calls Mrs. Marin immediately to be like, 
are you canceling with all the stuff that's going on? And again, the same thing. They're like talking it through. And they're like, I mean, come on. We can't be scared about all this stuff. It's, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Are you kidding? So, that is a big deal. And she's like, look, we already fed the kids. They're like basically going to bed. They're a little freaked out about the power and stuff like that. So, you know, we look, we gave them a little Benadryl or whatever the allergy medicine was at the time oh to kind of like knock them a out. A little bit of morphine. Right. You know? They're going to be asleep soon. <laughs> so Rod is like going in her head of like every movie she's ever seen, like going, oh my God. And then she's kind of <laughs> laughing to herself. So she's like, all right, well, I might be a little late. I got to get on my bike. And then Mr. Marin's like, look, I can try to come get you. And, um, but I can't leave right now. And Rada doesn't want to kind of stay with Chuck there. Yeah. Uh, so then, uh, Mrs. Marin's like, look, whatever, if you want a bike, just come on over. Well, we, I can give you some of my clothes, whatever, whatever you need. And she's like, look, I got pajamas. Don't worry, but I'll be good. <laughs> of course, Chuck's like, I'm going to be your, you know, white knight. Let me just drive you there. You don't have to worry about it, this and that. And of course, she's like thinking in her head. She's like, whatever. Yeah, all right, fine. Just like, if you can get me there, it's probably better. I'll be there sooner, this kind of thing. The moment they get in the car or he's loading her bike in the back of his car, she's already like, this is a mistake. Because he's like, why? You know, you know, we're such a good thing. He's like trying oh, to understand all the reasons, Chuck. this and that. Um, it's and over, man. He's like, again, like just incessant. And he's like, look, you know it doesn't make sense. We were so good together. You know, is there something I can change? You know, all that kind of stuff. And she's just like, I got to get out of this car. And of course he's getting angrier and angrier as they're oh. getting closer to the house. And she's like, she just turns the radio in the car. Tries oh, to make it like that kind no. of thing. And, uh, they now hear on the news, like there's a all points bulletin, five patients have escaped. Um, uh, and then, of course, then the reporter to basically corrects it. I mean, I mean, are missing, not, not escaped, that kind of thing. And she's oh, like that's... fixating about the whole word escape. Um, so they're entering now the cul-de-sac and Chuck's anger is now getting a little bit more dark, right? He's like, as they're driving, he's like, oh, you know, this is like, this house is kind of secluded. Like, this is like the perfect place for somebody who may have, you know, escaped would go hide out, this, that, whatever. So she's just like, whatever. And before the car even rolls to a stop in the drive, she's already out the door getting into the house. Did she Um, get her bike? She doesn't get her bike. No. Um, so... Chuck, of course, parks, follows her in, right? Dude. Now, she he's like, let me just, you know, he's in the car. He also is like, I can stay the night. You know, I can keep you safe. Like, you know, as long as it's okay with the Marins, you know, she's, and she's like, I, I, I'm good. So she's now in the house. Mr. Marin's upstairs and he's actually, you know, they have an office. So he's on his office phone talking to work for some other reason, that kind of thing. And she can, he can hear some kind of commotion going downstairs because Mrs. Marin is at the door. Chuck's trying to force his, not force his way in, but it's basically. He's trying to like charm. Yeah. And he's, you know, and he's talking and, and easily Mrs. Marin senses that Arata's like bad scene. I don't want this guy with me or anything near me. So they're going through it all and he comes down and, Mr. Marin Shotgun also, in hand. Mr. Marin senses the same thing, and he just does like the perfect kind of dad move. He gets in there, arm around Chuck. Hey, thanks <laughs> for driving her here. And as he's talking to her, he just escorts her out the door, ex- escorts him out the door, and like starts walking him to the car, gets him into the car. Like, I mean, you're a lifesaver. It's great that she's here because you know we really go, we're, we're running late. We got to get out. That kind of thing. So he returns nice. back to the three of them. They watch Chuck's car, you know, leave, and then you know Ross like, oh, he's got my bike. Um, 
So now the Marons go over like last minute details with Rada, like in the you know explaining like you know here's how everything works, and she knows all that stuff. And he's like, all right, well here's the phone number to the hotel we're staying at. Here's the phone number of the club, the dance, you know, the venue we're going to be at, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so if you need to guess anything, just call. We'll we'll be where we're going to let them know to get to find us if you do call. Um, so now the storm, you can hear the wind howling outside and. It's getting to the point where, I can't like, believe they're still going out for like this date. <laughs> but they've been waiting for a long The back door of off of the garage, the door just slams and finally open and like hits so hard that they it makes them jump. And they're just like, oh, the kids. And the kids don't wake up. So they're like, oh, I guess the Benadryl is working. The Benadryl. So it, you know. They go over there. Mr. Brown's checking out the door, and he's kind of puzzled because he's like, how's this door open? It was locked. I don't understand how oh, it like that. Oh, don't like right? that at all. So, you know, after that's all done, the Marins are now leaving, and they're they're going out, and they realize that they are running late because of this, you know, the door and all sorts of stuff. And as they speed out uh, the cul-de-sac, um, what they don't notice is that Chuck's car is parked off of the road in the grass area to the side. Okay. Chuck, stop. So, Rada's now settling in for the evening. She's checking all the doors, make sure everything's locked. You know, they have those little chains that you lock the <laughs> thing kind of thing. Um, and, you know, she's like, all right, I'm getting my PJ, PJs on. I'm going to watch my movies. I'm going to make some popcorn. And then she's like, ah, the popcorn too loud. Wake up the kids. So um, she decides to basically just help herself to, like, she was told, help herself to everything. She gets a big bag of chips, grabs a bunch of Cokes. And she's like, all right, I'm going full side this weekend. I'm either watching Star Wars or I'm watching Star Trek Wrath of Khan. I'm not sure which one yet. She's like, oh, I'll go Star Wars. It's been a long, it's been a while. Just saw, you know, it's been, you know, it had just come out on video. So as she puts it in, she's in the rolling credits start for A New Hope. Oh my God. The phone rings. No, why would you ruin Star Wars? So as she picks up the phone, it's Jackie checking in on Ooh. her. Hey, you know, they have some small talk. Rada tells her about what Chuck did with the driving. And and then, then they start talking about the hospital and the curfew. And, and then Jackie's like, yeah, yeah, that's all great. Did Matt call you? Uh. <laughs> and Rada's like, oh, yeah, he did. She's like, uh-huh, you can thank me. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I told Matt you were working at the store and this and that. And so they're talking some more. And she's like, all right, now, is it all right if uh, Matt calls you this evening while you're there? <laughs> And uh, no, I'm watching Star Wars. So she like they're talking about the pros and cons. She's like sitting there, and and of course she's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. I mean, like, what else? I have to kill this time anyway. I'm not doing anything. So, uh, and she goes and I'll get my mind off of Chuck. Call ends, and she's now waiting for Matt to call because you know what's going on. <laughs> Ten minutes kind of go by. She's like, all right, he's not calling. So she puts the movie back on, and you know she gets into the world of Jedi, the dark side, of course, <laughs> and she forgot how much she just forgot about the movie. Like she, she was just like, wow, it's been so long. And she's at that scene where the sand people attack and Obi-Wan comes out <laughs> when the phone rings and it startles her because she was you know, engrossed in the film. So she picks it up and she's like, it's going to be Matt gets up on the phone. She's ready to say hi to Matt. She's pausing star Wars. Um, and when she gets on the phone, there's silence. Oh, she's like, hello, Matt. Nothing. Bad idea. And she's Bad like, idea. And all she hears is heavy breathing. But I knew that was going to happen. So I knew she, it. So she, in the phone, she's like, hey, not funny. And it's just, uh, uh, Matt, and she's like, it's just Chuck. And she just hangs up the phone. So she gets the, she's all freaked out. She picks up the phone to call Jackie and it's just busy. <sighs> she hangs up the phone again. And she's like, what the? So Thank now God she's like, cell phones. <laughs> she's just sitting there trying to figure out what to do next. And, you know, it's 
like a couple minutes go by and it seems like an eternity, but she's just like, whatever, let me watch the movie. She's trying to give her attention to the movie. Maybe another five minutes passes by. Um, phone rings again. She picks up the phone. She's like, hello. And again, all she hears is heavy breathing on the other end. And now she's like, I know this is you, Chuck. Stop it. This is not cool. If you keep this up, you know, um, the pranking is so juvenile. What are you, in middle school? Throughout the whole phone. Just get rid of it. Right. So she's now, you know, just trying to, you know, reading the riot act at him. And she's like, look, if you keep this up, I'm calling police. You know, this is harassment, everything. So ha- call her hangs up. Okay. Rada's now like, you know, adrenaline. She's like completely shook too. Um, but she's like, all right, you know, I think I took care of this. She goes and calls Jackie back. Um, and Jackie this time answers. And she's talking to her about everything. And, and she's like, what? You're doing, Chuck's doing what? She goes, oh, I'm, after I get off this call phone, I'm calling up Chuck and I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. <laughs> and rather than it's like, yeah, don't worry about it, whatever. And she's like, and then Jackie's like, well, how, how, how to go with Matt? She's like, he hasn't called. She's like, what? <laughs> I'm calling up Matt and I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. <laughs> So they're laughing and they end right the call. So Radha now is with the movie. She's like, whatever. Phone rings, picks it up, and it's heavy breathing again. Oh, and a click. <gasps> so I now she's like, like that. that's it. Calls the police or calls, you know, 911. Or, and she's like, look, I'm getting these harassing calls. You know, I know the storm and I'm by myself. And she thinks it's, she's like, I think it's this guy, Chuck, blah, 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 blah. And the officer dispatcher is kind of like, well, have you been threatened? You know, what? Oh, what's going and God, oh my Jesus. Are you in do you feel like you're in harm? And she's like, Well, no, he hasn't it's just heavy breathing. And he's like, Look, there's not much we can do about that. Um, but do you have like a whistle or like something like like usually what you can do is blow into the phone with or make a loud noise or that usually just freaks out them. They're not gonna call back. And he's like she's like, All right, all right, fine, fine. Shangs up, she's looking around to find a whistle or something <laughs> when the before she can even like get up, the phone uh, rings again. Oh, she this picks is it so up, awful. And the heavy breathing's there, and she's like, Chuck, I've already called the police. I told him it was you. I've also told Jackie, and I, I've, I'm going to tell Matt, and you know, Matt's going to be coming here right now when he finds this out, so you got to stop this. And after she finishes her speech, um, and again, full of adrenaline, blood rushing to their head, um, the caller speaks. <gasps> and in a low, silent, most monotone voice, but with some creepiness in it, just says, have you checked the children? Oh, wait, I feel like I know this. Oh. She slams down the phone. She's like, what? She gets up, picks up the phone again to call Jackie. Busy signal. No. She hangs up. Phone rings again. She picks it up. Here's that familiar breathing. And this time, the caller says, why haven't you checked the children? I don't like this at all. This is so awful. Slams down the phone. She runs into the kitchen. She wants to grab anything she can find. She goes over to the, uh, like the butcher block of knives, goes to grab the butcher knife. It's missing. No, She's no, like, she, no. She just grabs the next biggest knife. She goes into the kitchen, um, to the kitchen phone, right? And she calls the venue to get to the Marins. And they're like, hello. And she's like, can you get Mr. and Mrs. Marin on the, and they're like, oh, well, hold on. We got to look for them, blah, blah, blah. They start, you know, time goes like a minute or so passes. And they're like, they're not here. They've already left. So she's like, goes, hangs up, calls the hotel. Same thing. And they're like, they, they haven't checked in yet. Um, oh, no. Tell you. So she's now, what is she going to do? So she hangs up the phone. And as she hangs up, the moment hangs up, the phone rings again. She's oh ready to God. scream. And she hears Matt's voice. Oh, my God. She's relieved. She's like, oh, thank God. 
And um, basically, she's like telling him everything that's happening, what's going on. And he's like freaked out too. He's like, look, I'm on my way. And she's like, the curfew's like, it doesn't matter. I'm on my way. So she goes back now into the Why family room. Where his parents go? She goes back into the family room. I mean, uh, starts closing the shades, curtains, and, um, you know, as much as she can on the first floor because she's just like freaked out. Phone rings again. Oh. She answers it and the caller says, why did you close the curtains? Stop. This is so awful. I love she it. She hangs up and immediately calls the police and just says, I'm being watched. You know, this caller's called. Like, the officer's like, just you know, calm down. The dispatcher's like, hey, it's, what's going on? Explain what you're talking about. She goes, it's called multiple times. He's asking me if I took the children. I, I, I closed the curtains. And, and he, he, he asked me, why did I close the curtains? And, she, and he, he's like, can you look outside? Do you why see Why would it? you tell So she's look, he's <sighs> like, do you see anybody? Are there cars? Like, it's like, I can't even see houses. I mean, there's houses in the distance. And he's like, well, um, all right, just calm down. We can't... We're going to send a car out by your way, but if the caller calls again, we'll try to trace the call, but you got to keep the person on for like at least a minute. So can you do that for me? We'll keep, we're going to put a trace on, but you have to, any call that comes in, it's got to be an hour, I mean, a, a minute or more. Oh, God. So she's now like, okay, there, at least a policeman's coming. She feels a little bit better. This time it's, the phone rings again. She picks it up. She's ready to like get ready to go. And it's Matt. And he's like, I can't get to you. Roads are closed. Trees are down. And she's like, Kind of freaked up. He's like, no, I call the police. Police are on their way. And he's like, all right, all right, thank God. All right, all right. Just keep me on the phone. We'll just talk. We'll just talk. But then how is she going to get the other guy? So the house lights flicker. Oh. Call gets disconnected. Oh, I don't like that. So she ends up hanging the, you know, the phone's clued on. The phone rings right when the lights come back on. She picks it up and she's thinking it's Matt. And all of a sudden she hears, um, why did you close the curtains? And Rada's like, oh my God. So she's looking out at the clock and in her head, she's looking at the, the second hand and she's timing it. And she's like, um, can you see me? And the caller says, yes. No. And she's now, this isn't funny. You are scaring me. And he says, why haven't you checked the children? And she's like, I called my boyfriend. He's coming. And then the caller says, I've already seen him. He isn't coming. Oh, no, 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 Confused. No. She's like, I don't know why you're doing this. What do you want from me? And she, like, he pauses. And there's silence, just the breathing. And he just says, I want your blood all over my body. That's so disgusting. I hate that so much. She slams down the phone. It rings back immediately. She gets on the phone. She starts screaming, leave me alone. She soon realizes it's the officer, the dispatcher. He's on the line. And he can, she can sense the urgency in his voice. She's like, Rada, Rada. We've traced a call. It's coming from within the house. No. Get out of no. there now. Oh my God. <laughs> she drops the phone. She's frozen in fear. And all of a sudden she hears the door upstairs start to creak open. Uh, no. She then sees a silhouette of a, of a person, of a man up on the top of the stairs. She bursts towards the front door and she's shaking. She's panicking. She can't control her hands to even remove the chain lock. No, no, no. She's just trying to get, she finally gets the door open. As she runs out, there's the policeman sitting there right there he grabs her inside another officer comes through enters the house and as she gets in he sees the intruder comes out and shoots the intruder dead right on the steps oh my god he's covered completely in blood upstairs they find all the children killed no they also find jack's dead body hidden in a closet (gasps) the killer was an escape patient 
had been hiding in the house before the Marins had even left. Chuck was the one that opened the slam the door. Oh my gosh. And that's the urban legend of the babysitter story. (laughs) Your poor babysitter. How could you do that to her? So so the movie was When a Stranger Calls. It came out in 1979 um, with Carol Kane. I don't know if you remember her. She's from, uh, she's a um, liar, liar from Princess Bride. Oh. <laughs> and from um, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, oh. the, the landlord. Um, but uh, there's also a bunch of urban legends about it too. So I used the, for that, of course, it's based on, mainly based on um, when that a stranger calls. That reminded me a lot of Halloween. Well, Halloween came out, out relatively after this whole thing happened well, the, like the sense. story was there and there is um it's though it's based or the origins is based on the murder of janet christman which is an unsolved murder um, and then there's another one i got that from true crime articles and then medium.com had a story about it but i'm just going to tell you a little bit about what the basis of the whole thing is so um janet christman was a 13-year-old eighth grader who was found murdered and raped by uh, the couple for whom she was babysitting. Um, She was told by the couple actually at the time to, like, make sure you lock all the doors and, you know, keep the lights on. And she even was – the guy even gave her a shotgun. Like, that's how freaked out they were, which is kind of weird, but whatever. Um, But they never solved the crime. But they had a strong idea who the killer was. And um, the police believed that she knew her assailant because the house wasn't broken into. Um, so they believe she let the person in. Oh. And then the, the police did believe that the killer was a good friend of the family she was babysitting for, as well as her, she had babysat for this person also uh, once before. And there's a whole bunch of coincidences of, or I shouldn't say, but just um, uh, enough uh, circumstantial ev- evidence that they could have proven it was this person. But that was the beginning. And that happened in, uh, some, I think, in 1955 in Missouri. Wow. But that's, that's my urban legend. That was amazing. I've never been so stressed out <laughs> at a story. But like... we told that story to pretty much all the babysitters like after we had that. So I'm not sure if she did babysit for us after that either, though, now that I think about it. Oh, my. You ruined her. That's so... Everybody heard this story. Like, this was the... Ba- I mean, everyone knows this. This was... I mean, again, these urban... Legends, when you're... When we were that old, when we didn't have devices to use, we used to tell these stories to freak everyone out or sit around campfires and do these things. That happened. I know you guys should sit around now no. in your rooms. Just when text I was each in other. third grade, we all everyone like went around and told like a bunch of scary urban legends. Yeah, it's because you didn't have devices then. I had an iPod. You didn't have devices then, but so there you go. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right, we'll do your fun fact and everything to close it up. Ready? Yeah. Cool. All right, so uh, this week, the fun fact is directly part of my case. Okay. Um, I just figured it would be cool. Uh, so this is pretty recent. In 2017, a rumor surfaced that Holmes, H.H. Holmes, had actually escaped his execution, and he wasn't actually executed. He just was able to get out. Okay. So they actually, it like became so popular, this rumor, that they exhumed his body, uh, and they confirmed that it was his, like, but the weird thing was his body hadn't decomposed naturally because he had asked to be buried, like, in concrete. Um, he, his clothes were perfectly preserved and his mustache was intact when so they dug him up. it was a skeleton with a mustache? No, I think... His body, like, his human form? Because it was in concrete? It just that pres- what it implied. I mean, 
I don't think you would still have a mustache as a skeleton, so. I, maybe hair doesn't disintegrate as easily as skin. I don't know. That's but crazy. That's He insane. was like almost perfectly preserved, oh. which is really eerie. That is eerie. So, oh. yeah, that's a fun fact, but it's interesting. I'm not sure if it's fun. Again, it's a fact, <laughs> but it's crazy fact. It spooky is. fact. Spooky Maybe fact. we should change it off spooky facts. Spooky. <laughs> right. Well, the point is to lighten the mood after. I guess I didn't really lighten the mood. But <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Good to hear. Cool. Well, then, that's a good uh, fact. do you have anything to wrap up? Any wrapping thoughts? No. Just hope everybody had a good Mother's Day. Yeah. Cool. For all those mothers out there. All right. Then I'll jump into our spiel. All righty then. So if you have suggestions for more positive fun facts uh, that aren't as eerie or you've experienced true crime, paranormal stuff and want to tell us about it or you have suggestions for a story that we should cover, uh, you can email them to us at everythinginpodcast at gmail.com. You can also submit those through our website, which is www.everythingpodcast.weebly.com. We also put visuals for every episode up there and other fun stuff, so check that out. Uh, we are on Instagram at everythinginpodcast, on Twitter at between underscore podcast, and on Facebook uh, group and a page, both by the name Everything In Between Podcast. Uh, so we post, you know, fun stuff, the hints for each episode. Um, and yeah, follow us, say hi, stuff like that. Of course, if you're listening on Apple podcasts, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It's so, so helpful. And, um, uh, if you haven't noticed by now, uh, we make the titles for each of our episodes songs. So, uh, we compiled them into a Spotify playlist, which is by the name, the soundtrack in between. So check that out. Give it a listen. Some pretty good songs. If I do say so myself. They are. Uh, and yeah, besides that, I guess tune in next week. Yeah. We'll, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. Bye.